want to send out our very best blessings and greetings to whoever it is that may be watching right now. I trust if you've been with us before, what we've done has been relevant. It was something that blessed you, encouraged you, maybe gave you some insight that you wanted. And uh, so if you've returned with us, we're delighted that you're here. If this is your first time, we're really delighted that you're here. I want to read something to you from the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Last week, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to the word, 40 days after his resurrection, the Bible said he showed them himself alive with infallible proofs. And uh, that word infallible means a watertight case. And so, if we're staying biblical... These ought to be great days right now, these days that follow the resurrection. With that in mind, I want to ask you a simple question, because Peter, quoting from Joel chapter 2, he said, this is that which Joel prophesied about. So my question is simple to you. Is this that? Is what we have right now? This thing that we call church, this thing that we have, is our this that? Do we have the real stuff, or are we, are we living in la-la land? Are we uh, deluded? Are we just uh, living in a fantasy world? Or is what we're involved in right now the real thing? I found a verse that intrigued me some time ago. It's in Acts 10 and verse 43. Obvious, when Peter was with Cornelius, it said, To him, give all the prophets witness. And um, so I just began to wonder, well, how many people are considered prophets in the Bible? And uh, Peter talked about all of them. And so, as near as I can tell, there are 40 people in the Bible that are known as prophets. When you study Kings and Chronicles, uh, it's possible to figure out, you know, who reigned, you know, a king in Israel and then a king in Judah and back and forth, how that all goes. But it's also possible to figure out who prophesied when and who who was the prophet during what king's reign. 
Joel is a very unique prophet. He is known as a post-exile prophet. They were in Babylon, they got delivered, and so it's after the exile. It's after they got out of Babylonian captivity. And so there's no real king reigning right now, but for a time here, you've got the religious leaders are in charge of this thing. And uh, Joel was prophesying during the time of the second temple, when they rebuilt that temple after they came out of, uh, out of captivity. It's a day of crisis, uh, specifically during Joel's prophesying, there were terrible plagues and drought that was going on in the land, and real leadership was very, very hard to come by, very, very rare. And the theme of the book of Joel is very simple, repent. That's, that's the theme of his book. There are three specific places in Joel's book that, that intrigue me for our lesson today. The first is in chapter 2 and verse 16. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. That's the first verse. The second one is in chapter 1 and verse 13. He said, gird yourselves, lament, you priest. Howl, you ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth. You ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withheld from the house of your God. The third portion of Scripture is a rather long one, but it is what Peter was referring to on the day of Pentecost because in Joel 2.25, he said, I will restore to you the years, notice that phrase, years, that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God and that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed, and it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Sound familiar? Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. The first verse I highlighted is chapter 2 and 16. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Get the elders. Get the children Eat, get, get the babies. Let the bridegroom go forth out of her chamber. One translation in the message, it says, call the newlyweds home from their honeymoon. Wow. <laughs> That's serious business right there. You hear me, Tiffany and Steve? We didn't do that to you. But that's, 
That's a serious message when the pastor called and said, I want you to cut your honeymoon short. I don't want you to get back because we're going to repent. He calls on the priest and ministers to take off their robes and put on burlap bags. We used to call them gunny sacks when I was a kid. We were hill people and we didn't know. I found out, I did a little word search on that thing a while ago and found out gunny simply means coarse fabric. It was a phrase that originated back in India. So here we are, hillbilly people back in the hills of West Virginia, and, uh, and we're literally using a phrase that came from India. We didn't know that. But uh, in the first verse, 2 and 16, he said, I want you to get everybody. And then in the next one, in chapter 1 and verse 13, he said, I want the priest and the ministers. I want you to, I want you to weep. I want you to lament and uh, take off your fancy, fancy suits and put on some burlap. And, and he says, if this will happen, this, this brings us to the third portion of Scripture that I read to you where you start at verse number 18 and you go through the 32nd verse. He says, if the people will get sanctified and if the priesthood, the ministry will get serious, he said, I'm going to send you corn and wine and oil. And now utters what to the spirit-filled community is probably the most quoted verses in the Old Testament. I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of your God who hath dealt wondrously with you. My people shall never be ashamed. You shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel. I'm the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward. Listen to this. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. See, in that day, sons were more valued than daughters. Man would have lots of girls, but he kept on trying because he had to get that son. But the Lord said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and on your daughters. They're going to prophesy. I'm not just going to give it to the young. He said, I'm going to give it to the old and the young. Your old men are going to be dreaming dreams. Your young men are going to see visions. Back then, of course, they had servants, slaves, women and men, handmaidens they were called but he said i'm going to pour it on the servants and upon the handmaids in those days i'm going to pour out my spirit so here's what we've got he said first of all i want you to have a sweeping revival i, I want everybody involved I, I i want the old i want the young i want the babies i want i want the folks on honeymoon i want i want across the board i want us to come together and i want us to repent and then he said, we need to have a, a weeping revival. He said, the ministry needs to get serious. He said, you need to lament. You need to lay aside your grin and your jokes and your laughter for a while. And you need to take the burden of this thing on your spirit. Take off your, your suits, your ties, your fancy church clothes. Afflict yourself. I don't know if you've ever worn a burlap bag. I never have, but I've rubbed up against enough of them to know it's coarse fabric. It wasn't pleasant doing that. He said, I don't want you to feel comfortable right now. 
So he said, first of all, we're going to have a sweeping revival, and then we're going to have a weeping revival. <laughs> and he said, if you'll do this, I'll give you a reaping revival. I'll give you a harvest. So a sweeping revival of weeping that leaves no one out will lead to a reaping harvest that we can't possibly imagine. See, Joel's angry because the heathen are saying, where's your God at? Where's your God? I, I, did you ever get to the point where you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired? This, this thing that we have in our lives, it, it began as an experience. And uh, too many times it can be downgraded to where it's nothing more than a performance. The business of the church is to demonstrate God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that maxim is still true. The only way this world is ever going to see him is if he gets some flesh. And that's what the church is all about. Because the business of the church is to demonstrate God. Peter said, we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him that called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Remember David with Goliath? I found this verse. This is what David told Goliath. He said, I'm going to take you down. And in 1 Samuel 17 and 46, he said, and this is why I'm going to take you down, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. You remember Elijah's very short prayer when he was confronted with those hundreds of prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. In 1 Kings 18 and 36, it said, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Hezekiah prayed in Isaiah, now therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. And don't you ever forget that first part <coughs> of the most repeated prayer in the world. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I was curious this week, what in the world does the word hallowed mean? I just thought it meant exalted or bragged on. But in other translation, it doesn't say hallowed. It says, our Father which art in heaven, Reveal, reveal who you really are. Too many people, ladies and gentlemen, live in the shallow end of a pool, beginning with what I'm convinced is a non-biblical confession for Christ that doesn't result in new creatures who truly put away their past and becoming a new, a new species of being. See, electricity is meant to do two things. It's either meant to charge something or give you a shock. And I think church services should be like that. It ought to charge you up or it ought to shock you. And I don't, I don't want to be inoculated with a mild form of faith that requires no change. I remember years ago, 
reading something that said, I just want five pounds of God in a brown paper bag. I want to feel the warmth of the womb, but I do not want to know the agony of delivery. I, I want to be moved, but I don't really want to be changed. I, I just want five pounds of God in a, in a generic brown paper bag. America has too many empty churches swapping what few members remain, calling that a revival. It's like, it's like moving corpses around from one mortician to the other. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And the word power is the word dunamis. Most of it could be translated dynamite. So we have access to dynamite, but too often we're just setting off firecrackers. I, I want it done right. I, 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 it has a lot to do with the way I was raised and my amazing father and mother. But man, they didn't want anything done half-heartedly. And uh, I, I, I can't stand something that's not done to the very best of your efforts. But uh, even pastoring this church, uh, it's not enough to have a good organization, and we have one, and efficient. We run this church as lean and efficient. There is very, very, very little waste here, and I'm very proud of that. And activity, we've got a lot of things going on, even now, while we're, whatever, sheltering in place, self-quarantining, whatever you want to call it. This church, every Monday night, there's a prayer meeting online. There are meetings going on with the teams. Every Wednesday, there's a Bible class. Every Friday, there's a youth service. Our, our children's ministry, Brother, Brother David and Sister Stacy Mize, have, have put together wonderful lessons for the children that they can have while they're at the home there. And we've just got reports of children wanting and looking forward to those times. Is it, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Can I go to my class? And so they're doing it very, very well. And even now, these efforts that we're making on Sundays, we're sending out other additional things that are going on. We're, 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 we, we, we've got a lot of activity and, and we've been very efficient and, 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 and we have a good organization, but it's not enough because too many times it's like hauling the glory of God around on a cart. See, if he is going to get the glory, then God's work must be done by God's people, God's way. The word teaches that this world is headed for an economic crisis that will eclipse the Great Depression. You are being warned now. You can see now how realistic these things. That's when I was a kid. People would preach and teach about prophecy. It just seems so far off. But now, 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 these things in prophecy that seem so far fetched just a few years ago now are within reason, and they they're going to happen. They're going to happen, and. Uh, you see now how realistic economic situations, how, how frail they are. Why? I'll tell you why. We left the gold standard. Where, where, where do you think these trillions of dollars? I, I, I've repeatedly had people just in conversation through the city. Yeah, the, I'm going to get my check. 
I'm going to get my stimulus check. The government's going to give me a check. And I've tried to hold my tongue, but, but I want them to understand the government never gave anybody anything. And they're not giving you anything right now. Where do you think that money is coming from? I'll tell you where it's coming from. From a U.S. Mint that's printing. <laughs> that's living on make-believe. I remember in the 70s, at the end of the 70s, early 80s, Jimmy Carter was president. We went through a gas crisis when OPEC was the oil-producing countries of, 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 of the, uh, just, it, it long, I remember as kids, people waiting for miles in line just to get five gallons of gas. You couldn't fill up your car. You could only get five gallons of gas. I, 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 I had a man, he, it wasn't a friend of mine, but he was a man I respected, was building a church in, in Ohio, and, and he had to pay 19% interest on his loans. And I remember, even as a young man back then, hearing a respected economic advisor saying, the day of single-digit interest rates is gone forever. You'll never see sub-10% interest rates again. And yet today, while I'm standing here, you could secure a 30-year fixed-rate loan on your house for 2.6% interest. Why can't they raise the rate? I'll tell you why. Because they know if they raise the interest rates to 7, 8, 9%, this economy would fail. We're dealing with phantom currency, ladies and gentlemen. This, it's based on a standard that Roosevelt started selling off years ago and Richard Nixon put the final nail in the coffin when there wasn't gold reserves in the United States to back the money that we're printing. But I want you to know that we're not the only people that went off the gold standard. I found a verse in Kings and King Rehoboam made in their stead brass shields and committed them under the hands of the chief of the guard, which kept the door of the king's house. See, Solomon had given an empire to his son, Rehoboam. And in less than five years, he had mismanaged and squandered the resources that his father had left him to such a place where he couldn't afford to have a war. And the only way that he could keep peace with Egypt was to bribe them. And I'll tell you how he bribed them. He took all the gold vessels that his father had made for the house of the Lord and all the gold shields that were used ceremonially. It was an amazing display of their wealth and their blessing. I found this verse. Here's 1 Kings 10 and 21. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was, watch this. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. In other words, if you read other translations, during Solomon's reign, silver was, was it didn't mean anything. It, 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 it was, it was, one translation said, it, it said it was no, nothing was made of silver because silver was considered common and cheap. <laughs> but he traded in the gold shields 
and had them made out of bronze. We can't afford to go off the gold standard in the kingdom of God because the enemies of the of Rehob, they sneered at them, said, your shields used to be gold. Now they're bronze. Your father wouldn't even tolerate silver, but you're satisfied with bronze. And as long as we depend on devices, God will leave us to those devices. I love technology as much as the next person, but technology is a cheap substitute for the manifestation of the power of God because on the day of Pentecost, this is what Peter said, this is that. That what's going on now has a history. What we are experiencing right now is valid and has a foundation that was prophesied to us by Joel. And it's time to ask a simple question. Is this that we are calling church? Is this that? Is this thing we are peddling? Is it the real deal? Or is it a spurious copy? Copy. I, uh, I read about a man named Han van Meegeren, considered the greatest forger in the art world. His, he specialized in reproducing uh, one of the masters named Vermeer. And, and, and Meegeren, his, 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 his forgeries fooled the buyers and the experts. And I found this quote that one man made about him. He had every virtue except originality. When you read the book of Malachi, he talks about that, that, that group of people that still remain, that, that, that remnant that still remain. When you read what John wrote to the church in Sardis in Revelation, he said, I still have a few who have not defiled their garments. Every farmer knows there are four parts to a harvest. First, the ground is broken. Second, the seed is planted. Third, the crop is cultivated. And finally, the harvest is gathered. Do you see it? Do you understand what's going on right now? You have to break the ground, sow the seed, cultivate what's growing, and then finally reap the harvest. The Lord, the Lord is trying to break us up. There will, you read about Noah and about that rain. It said that that water that was in the clouds came down, but it also says this. Nobody talks about this. It said, and the fountains of the deep broke up. It wasn't just rain that was coming down out of heaven from the clouds, but literally geysers were shooting up from the ground and this is a thing that is not just about what's coming down from him. It also has to do with what's coming up from us unto him. The Lord is trying to break us up. There will be no harvest without broken ground. It's like trying to have a revival with, without the revival. We need buildings, and I'm grateful for what we have. But God dwells not in temples made with hands. Too many Christians are human taverns instead of holy temples. We have plans. We had plans for a capital campaign to build another sanctuary. But I warn us all, if we give substance, 
without first giving self first. It's never going to work. These, Jesus said this, these ought you to have done and not to leave the others undone. False doctrine always, always uses a plausible gimmick to get its foot in the door. But what they don't tell you is it's the back door they're coming in. And we live in a world that talks tolerance but has nothing but praise for apostates and only scorn for apostles. And if you dare take a stand, you are branded, you're not Christ-like. There is no such thing as peaceful coexistence with Satan. I have met too many Pentecostals who have their dispositions all figured out, but their dispositions are lousy. I've seen the best of intentions degenerate into splits and splinters. I'm a hillbilly boy, and at my heart, I guess I'll always be a hillbilly boy, but I learned a long time ago in the hills and hollers of West Virginia, if you marry a mountain woman, you're going to marry the mountain too. History may repeat itself, but it never, and I mean never, reverses itself. And I've never seen an apostolic leader change gears and then return to the old paths. While they are doing one thing, the Lord of the harvest is doing something else. And as controversial as this may sound, I'm here to tell you that the Lord is not here to convert this world because he's getting ready a people to take out of this world. I do not want to be here when the Lord takes the one thing out of it that means more to him than anything else. And that's the church of the living God. People say there are no signs of his return. But when you read the writings of Peter, this is ironically what Peter said. One of the signs of his return are the very people who don't see any signs. I see, I feel sorry. I'm so privileged to be called the pastor of this church, but I feel sorry for pastors trying to rally a church mob who many of them are not even saved And the rest of them aren't committed. The gospel still begins with this word. Repent. Repent. If we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. Real repentance produces confession and leaving sin. He didn't say, I'll save you in your sin. I'll save you from your sin. It begins with reconciliation. Real repentance. There's reconciliation between a wife that's mad and doesn't love her husband, says she don't love him anymore. Real, real repentance will lead to reconciliation with a husband, fall back in love with that woman. Real repentance will, will, will result in restitution when something that was owed and has been left hanging out there, finally it's dealt with and resolved. This, this kind of repentance leads to submission to be buried in his name, filled with his spirit, That's what this is all about. When we repent, we won't need an outstanding speaker. As pastors, are always looking for a good evangelist. And I traveled for years and and I have nothing but the highest regard and respect for these precious men. I get paid even now as pastoring this church. But you think of these poor precious evangelists who are totally dependent on speaking in a church every week. And now there are no churches to preach in. What are they going to do? Who's going to take care of them? 
And so we've been making efforts to try and bless and help these people when we can. But when you get a real, a real repentance, you don't need an outstanding speaker because the ground's already broken up. Study your Bible. There was 50 days between Exodus and coming to Sinai where the law was given. I'll give you these scriptures. Here's Exodus 12 and verse 18. It said, in the first month, on the 14th day of the first month, at evening, you eat unleavened bread. If you know your Bible, this was the Passover meal that they were eating in haste because they were leaving at midnight and they were going to the Red Sea. So you're the 14th day of the first month. So when the sun sets, that's the next day. So now we're dealing with the 15th day. The angel of death passed through the land of Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. If you know your Bible, you can prove that a year was 360 days. Months had 30 days in them. Here's Exodus 19 and verse 1. It, they came to Sinai in the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So they left Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. But they arrive at Sinai on the first day of the third month. So if a month is 30 days, that entire second month there's 30 days. You've got 15 days left over in the first month. So 30 plus 15 is 45. You've got that. But now it says that Moses went up into the mountain to talk to the Lord. That's presumably day 46. After talking with the Lord, the Lord said, go down with the people, which tells me that when he went down the next day, that's day 47. But listen to Exodus 19 and verse 11. And be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. So if there's 15 days left in the first month, and they're traveling 30 days of the second month, that's 45. Day 46, he's in the mountain. Day 47, he comes down. He said, I want you to take the next three days, and I want you to sanctify your life. I want you to get ready because God's fixing to show up and show off and he's going to show you something powerful, which means that on the 50th day, that's when God manifested his presence on Sinai. That is the day we refer to as Pentecost. I've taught you for years about the feast, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. 50 days after first fruits was Pentecost. And then three months later were the final three festivals, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. Watch the scripture very clearly. It says in Corinthians 5 and 7 that he, he is our Passover. Jesus Christ on the cross, just like that lamb was slain in Egypt and that blood was shed to stop death. Jesus Christ on the cross becomes the fulfillment of the Passover. The Bible said on the 15th day, uh, that's that. There you got that. That's when you've got unleavened bread. What is leaven? It is yeast. Since you don't have yeast, nothing can rise. And that's why on the day after Passover, the day after the cross, he's in the grave. He can't rise 
on the day after Passover. Why? Because he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. As Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three, not two, three days in the heart of the earth. So what's the very next day? The third day is first fruits. But when you read Corinthians 15, verse 20 and verse 23, here's here's verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits. So there we are. That message in the Old Testament is now fulfilled by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just as first fruits was the day that they got out of Egypt and they came into the wilderness, the Bible said that's on the 15th day of the first month. 50 days after, they came to Sinai where the law was given. I've asked people for years, when's the first Pentecost? And they say, Acts 2. No, 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 no. The first Pentecost is back in Exodus when the Lord manifested his presence on Sinai. (coughs) Pentecost was a festival that commemorated the giving of the law for all of those years. And so look at Acts chapter 1. It says in verse 3, after he resurrected, he showed himself alive for 40 days. He took him out as Beth to Bethany and it was taken out of their sight. But before he left, he said, go to Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued with power from on high. So how long did they tarry? 10 days. Because the 40 plus 10 brings you to Acts 2 and 1. And when the day of Pentecost, I love this, was fully come. <laughs> You better believe it. Remember that verse in Galatians 4, probably 4 and 4? When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. This is one of those fully come days as well. This is pregnant prophecy, bearing her child that's been in that womb for so long now when the day of Pentecost was fully come. I'm trying to show you something here. It happened at Sinai. It happened at Jerusalem. And it's happening now. There has to be a time of tarry and waiting before the outpouring. We are being given a gift from heaven right now. Use this time wisely because it's going to end soon. And every great revival and subsequent harvest was preceded by a time of waiting not boredom, not binging, not sheltering in place, but it was a sila. It was a God-given time out to prepare your heart for what's coming next because the reaping was always preceded by a sweeping call to the reapers. And I win with a personal insight that I have in the word of the Lord. I heard it taught and just repeated it for years. Peter quoted what Joel said. In Acts 2. But I read to you again, Acts 2 and verse 17. It shall come to pass in the last days, saying, God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Joel did not use those terms. This is what it says in Joel 2.28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. So I asked what I thought is the obvious question. After what? I've already read it to you twice, but I'm going to read it to you for the third time, hopefully with revelatory insight for you. Joel 2, 26 and 27 says, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, 
and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And the very next verse says this, and it shall come to pass afterward. I'm going to pour out my spirit. After what? After my people get over their shame. No wonder Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You see, if our this is that, then it will reflect what Joel was talking about. So today, as a preacher, as a minister, to the priest, some people would call me the priest, but the Bible said in the book of Revelation, he has made us all kings and priests. So do you men, the priest of your home, if you're a single mother, and the Bible said he'll be a father to the fatherless. So I don't want to just get bogged down with gender here. But if there is a father and a mother, a husband and a wife as a unit, then as a minister of the gospel, I'm calling on the priest, husbands and wives, sweeping request for some weepers. And if we will sanctify ourselves and use this time wisely and not just come out of this with hundreds of rolls of toilet paper stuck in our back rooms (laughs) or chubbier because all we did was just binge on Netflix and eat pizza. This is what it says at the end of Joel's prophecy. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Shall be delivered. Precious holy God, I have been honored and I have been uh, graced and gifted being called the pastor of this amazing group of people. But it's not just my job to coddle them and to pet and preen them. It is also my job to do the best I know how to keep them awake and aware of what's going on right now. Watchmen, what of the night? So as I stand on this wall, peering out into that inky darkness, trying somehow in my spirit to get, a, to get a, a fix on where we are and what you're trying to do. I do not want to waste this time. This is unprecedented what's going on in our lives right now, that everything is shut down. And we can either look at this as a gift, or we can look at this as a noose that's been wrapped around our neck. I choose, Lord to try and get deeper in the Word and to establish my prayer life now. I want to be a weeper because I want to harvest. I want to reap. And I, I call on this church, Lord, preacher and people, shepherd and sheep, let us weep 
between the porch and the altar. Because I'm convinced when we come out of this sanctified and lamented, you will give us a harvest. And whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. I know I'm a common man. Very few people know my name. But the demon said, Jesus we know and Paul we know. But who in the world are you? So by the authority of the word of God and the power in the name Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to send a west wind and to blow this virus out of this world. I ask you to blow it out of this country. I ask you, Lord, to help us to get back to doing what we need to do. But, oh, Lord, most of all, when you allow us to go back to our places of employment, when you allow us to traffic and move at our whim and will, I ask you, Lord, that it would be a different first church that comes out of this episode, that we would not be so giddy anymore, but there would be a sobriety and a seriousness about us, Lord, that we would understand it's the weepers that really count. And if we will weep, we will reap. I want what we have, this thing, to be the real deal. I want this to be that, which Joel prophesied and what Peter and them experienced. I do not want to live in the delusion of thinking we've got something legitimate and all we are doing is trading diamonds, Lord, for just trinkets and lack of treasure. Father, Please receive our repentance. Please receive our repentance. And we joined in with David and said, take not your Holy Spirit from us. Because as you break our bones, we will rejoice. And you will restore to us the joy of our salvation. God bless each and every one that has taken the time to follow me as we walk through the word today. And I trust that there will be a new hunger in their heart to establish their prayer life and getting more regularly into the Word so that when we come out of here, they that waited <laughs> renewed their strength. In Jesus' name, we humbly ask you these things. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.